Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. Bedford's cost segregation specializes in generating significant tax savings via their engineering-based studies for commercial real estate clients nationwide. Founded in 2002, Bedford is one of the largest independently owned cost segregation providers in the country with over 14,000 studies completed to date in multiple offices throughout. The most important decision ownership can make when incorporating cost segregation within their real estate portfolio is selecting the right provider. With only 43 certified cost segregation professionals nationwide, Bedford is proud to employ eight of them and takes the quality of their people as seriously as their studies. Every certified cost segregation professional has passed a rigorous test combining knowledge of technical engineering issues, legal tax issues, ethics standards, and requires a strict level of prior work experience to be eligible. Bottom line, not all cost segregation providers are created equal. So be sure to take the decision seriously from the beginning to protect yourself for years to come. Please contact Bedford's Business Development Director, Frank Judici, to learn more. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is John Rickgarn. Thanks for being on the show, John. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Having lost both his parents to cancer in their 50s, John realized a deferred retirement plan may not work for everyone. John started real estate investing in 2016 with a fourplex by pulling money out of his Roth IRA. Five years later, he owns several properties across four states and is involved in dozens of other investments and syndications. John, welcome to the show. Why don't you paint a little more of a picture there for us so we can understand a little more of your background and let's jump into your expertise and some things that you're doing with your own personal finances. I think that could help us as well. Sure. Yeah. Like you already mentioned in my bio, just kind of a quick upbringing of mine. Like you said, both my parents passed away of cancer. My dad, when I was 11 years old and then my mom, when I was 16 and ironically, it wasn't until years later, I kind of had my you know, awakening moment, so to speak. I remember in 2014, my wife had just decided to walk away from her job and was looking to go back for a doctorate and become a teacher. She had always dreamed of being a college professor. So at that time, I was thinking, okay, we're down to one income, you know, got to, at the time I was in sales. So you think, okay, got to sell more, you know, work more hours, work longer, work harder. (laughs) And just was kind of thinking like, well, you know, financially, we're sitting pretty good. We have a lot of money in our IRAs and 401ks. And it just kind of hit me right there. I remember I was just sitting on my couch and was thinking, well, what if I don't make it to age 65? And just was thinking about my parents, they passed away in their 50s. And then I was thinking, well, what's the point of saving all this money to a deferred lifestyle later on that necessarily isn't guaranteed? And at the time I was thinking, okay, I'm 31. If I was to essentially relive my entire life, you know, that all that time period, then I'd be 62. That'd be 40, 50, 60 hours a week. 
And I still wouldn't be at the arbitrary retirement age that everyone says you should do. So it was kind of at that point, like, okay, I need to do something different. I need to find something else that works that other than just working at a job, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week for the rest of my life. What were some of the first steps there that you took? I mean, we all have to have the, almost that aha moment at some point, right? You know, and see that something's going to have to change. We got to do something different than maybe everyone around us at that time anyways doing or thinks that we should do often. So what were some of the first things there that kind of helped you to say, okay, you know, I've got to change the way I'm thinking about my finances. And what did you do? Yeah, at the time, it was kind of the old adage, you don't know what you don't know at that point. So just, you know, random Google searches, you know, how to, you know, make extra money. And initially, it was kind of, well, this is a side hustle. Here's something you can do in your spare time. And which is, isn't bad, but you know, you're still trading time for dollars. Somewhere along the line, I came across a podcast. And at the time, like I said, I was in sales, so it wasn't uncommon to put 150, 250 miles a day on the road. So started just downloading podcasts. I know there was one by Matt Terrio that I first came across and then Get Rich Education with Keith Weinhold. Then just kind of started building there from you know, learning about real estate, really like the buy and hold and got introduced to, you know, passive income where you know, you're not trading time for dollars. You have money coming in from rent and dividends and interests on a monthly basis. You know, tell the listener a little about how you view what we were talking about before we started recording a little bit, but just, you know, elaborating a little bit on instead of having this dollar amount per month for passive and how you have your stepping stones to cover expenses. I can't remember where I first heard it, but several podcast webinars I've listened to, you know, $10,000 a month seems to be kind of the quote unquote magic number that everybody goes for passive income. And I first heard that it's like, okay, $10,000 a month, 120,000 a year. That's about what I make, you know, working 60 hours a week. So it just kind of seemed impossible to get that for, you know, from a passive income standpoint. Later on, I started working on a Excel sheet and looked at, okay, what are my fixed monthly expenses every single month? Not food, not gas, not the ones that change from month to month, but you know, your rent, your mortgage, your car insurance, ones that typically are the same month to month. And I noticed, okay, the smallest one is my Netflix bill. So 13 bucks a month. Can I get an asset that would provide 13 bucks a month passive income and basically take care of that monthly expense? Soon after, I believe it was Fundrise. It's a kind of a crowdfunded real estate syndication platform for non-accredited investors. Started investing in that and then actually came to like 30, 40, 50 bucks a month eventually. So then I took care of Netflix and a couple other bills and just kind of worked it from there. I would identify a bill, take the monthly amount, figure it out from an annual standpoint and okay, what's an investment that could pay this bill coming up next? I think it's interesting to think about it that way. And, you know, checking those bills off, right? Okay, this one's covered by passive. Now this one's covered by passive income or, you know, what's my next investment that can cover this next bill here? And even, you know, some goal setting there, thinking through it like that. What were some of your first investments passively? You you talked about Fundrise. Now maybe you've invested in some syndications. What were some of your thought processes there as far as, you know, getting started passively investing? Yeah, the biggest thing was just for me, just kind of, you know, starting small and building up from there. 
Also, it isn't available now, but Lending Club used to be a platform that investors could pool their money together. And then for as low as $25, you would actually buy a portion of a note or a portion of a promissory note, and then you would get monthly income from there. Fortunately, that's phased out, but there's a couple other platforms that are still available. Started working on just kind of the like I said, the smaller ones from Fundrise, Realty Mogul, and then dived into, like you said, my first fourplex in 2016. There's kind of a two steps with that. One, one of my mentors mentioned, hey, you've been putting a lot of money in your 401k. Why don't you just cut that back down to what you get for the match? So I cut that back from about 15% down to six. And that allowed for some extra funds for investing. And after listening to podcasts, it's thinking, okay, I want to look for a newer property, 1990s or newer, newer roof, newer siding, 1% rule, et cetera, et cetera. My wife even said, yeah, you're never going to find that. <laughs> and ironically, we did, but it happened to be a fourplex. And initially, I was thinking, okay, I, there's no way I can afford this. And I remembered a quote from Robert Kiyosaki. He always said, don't say, I can't afford this. Ask, how can I afford this? And, you know, just put my thinking cap on, I was doing some research. And our advisor at the time said, you know, you've had your Roth IRA since you were 19. You know, you can take your contributions out, right? And which I didn't know. I thought you just kept that until you were retired. So with the inner Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman just screaming, do not touch your IRA. I actually took the money out of my Roth IRA and that was the down payment for our fourplex. And yeah, that was five years ago and just have built on that ever since. Nice. Well, what was the change in mindset from or why not uh, just continue buying more fourplexes? Maybe you are, but you know, instead of thinking more towards just being passive or you know, investing in syndications. Yeah, the fourplex we just kind of fell into. We had worked with a real estate agent at the time, and it, like I said, the numbers worked out good. Pretty new property, and back in 2016, the inventory was a little bit higher, and prices weren't quite out of quite as out of control as they are today. From there got wind of a duplex that was for sale. That was an off-market one that we decided to go after two years later. And back in 2019, then we did a road trip, learned about what's called turnkey investing, where you buy a single family property from a company where it's fixed up, got a tenant in it, ready to go. And yeah, kind of did things in reverse. We started with a fourplex, then went to single family versus single family, then going building up to a fourplex. <laughs> yeah. So, what are your thoughts now on buying more, you know, smaller multifamily or things like that versus passive investing? Yeah, I've looked at a couple. I'm actually just last week I was on a road trip down in Iowa. I've checked out a couple markets down there. Tend to go after the boring markets, so to speak, where cash flow comes in consistently. I'm not an appreciation investor. I'd figure that's more of icing on the cake versus trying to chase some, you know, double digit year after year return like a Dallas Fort Worth or a Tampa Bay or some of the other crazy markets that the other investors are going after. And since my goal is to have bills paid for by passive income, appreciation and equity isn't going to pay those bills. Yeah. Well, and I know a big part of like thing, something you like to do is the networking component. Tell me about how you're doing that networking with other investors. Yeah, it started with a real estate conference in Indianapolis back in 2018. Ironically, networked with some investors that were in 
Fargo, North Dakota, just about four hours north of where I live. I actually invested with them on a couple of projects, listened to their podcast. They had some people that they were interviewing, reached out to them, and it just kind of snowballed from there where, you know, from LinkedIn invites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I think the old adage, we're all six degrees separation from everyone else on this planet. And, you know, kind of the more you network, then you hear more of other people and come across, you know, recommended connections of you have 16, 20, 50 connections in common and, you know, just kind of snowballs from there and like to bounce off ideas with other investors and others reach out to me as well. Speak to the, just the infinite returns thought, tax deferred stuff that maybe you could elaborate a little more on that. So it was a book of Andy Tanner's kind of introduced me to infinite returns kind of on a basic level you put $100 into an investment, you earn $10 on the investment, that's a 10% return on your money. If you put in $50 and you borrow $50, still gain 10%, that's a 10% return on that investment, but it's a 20% return on your money or what you've put into the deal. The rest of it's borrowed. And if you get down to the point where you've invested money Similar to my Roth IRA, you take out the contributions, you're just investing with the earnings. Or if you're a poker player, you're playing with house money. Since you have no none of your money in that deal, that's what's called an infinite return that you really can't factor in a return of that money. You have none of your own money in that. And that's how I built some of my investment streams over the years. Back to the lending club and example, I would take out a 0% transfer offer for my credit card, invest those in notes, pay the minimum payments, roll that over 12 months later, just kept compounding it. Early 2018, I took out my contributions and basically everything that was left in there was borrowed money from my transfer offers. Fast forward to 2019, I paid off that loan and now it's just a residual income stream for me of infinite returns with none of my own money in it. Wow, okay. What about your just outlook for financial freedom for yourself? Do you have a timeline or as you're thinking about those bills, are you thinking about different ways you're investing or some thoughts on how you're investing to get there as fast as possible? I wouldn't say fast as possible. I'm kind of, you know, a tortoise versus the hare. The tortoise eventually wins, you know, slow and steady wins the race. My goal though is to be financially free by 2030. Obviously, if it comes sooner, even better. But you know, I had to take a little step back with you know, last year we had the you know COVID 2020 that impacted us all and inventory for rental real estate is a little tight right now. As much as I'd like to keep building up my rental portfolio, I'm not going to buy something just for the sake of buying it. It still has to meet my criteria. So whether that takes an extra six months or a year, you know, so be it. I'd rather get something that hits my criteria versus just buying something for the sake of buying it or hoping for appreciation. So when you're thinking through investing, you know, or, and whether it's in a small deal or whether it's in a syndication, you know, or like I said, or, or a deal of your own, how do you prepare for a downturn? <laughs> Probably the biggest thing is just from the get-go, do a lot of due diligence. I've walked away from several deals. Remember a mentor of mine told me, it's better to have a good deal go away than be stuck with a bad one. So even if kind of on the fence, or even if I just have a gut feeling, I might just walk away from it. I typically am extremely conservative with my numbers. If it's a 
turnkey property that says, well, it rents from $850 a month to $950 a month. I figure in $850 or maybe even a little lower. And anything over that is just gravy. And also, it's just nice to have some cash on hand. I think a lot of investors, they just look at, hey, this pays for my mortgage payment, my insurance and taxes. Everything above that is just gravy. Well, eventually, you're going to have vacancy. Eventually, a water heater is going to go out or... You know, maybe there's a default in the rent or late rents even coming. So you just really have to plan for all those scenarios and make sure you're covered. You have any predictions, John, just for the real estate market over the next six to 12 months? I think, well, eventually I do think prices are going to have to stabilize. I don't think mortgage rates can get any lower, although I said that about a year and a half ago and yet they did. Personally, I think once you know, COVID's in the rearview mirror and a lot of the eviction moratoriums and mortgage forbearances lifted, I think more inventory is going to be hitting the markets, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent that will obviously ease up the constraints and maybe shift more to a balanced market than the seller's market we've been seeing. Interestingly, it'll be hopefully the build to rent market can pick up a little bit more. It's just more of a matter of getting enough workers and lumber prices getting stabilized. But biggest thing I'm seeing now is a lot of hotels being converted into condos or apartments. So, you know, maybe with some closings or bankruptcies of hotels, that could ease up the restrictions and uh, ease up the supply issues we're having with housing. Any daily habits that you have, John, that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? I read every day and I try to learn something new every day. I think, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And I don't think there's ever going to be a point that any one of us will say, hey, I know everything there is, you know, to know. And obviously things keep changing. So I, you know, try to learn a little bit each day, whether it's real estate investing or stocks or personal development, what's going on in the economy. And yeah, just try to continue to improve myself and continue to educate myself. Learning something every day. It's that consistency, right? I know the listeners have heard me say that so many times. It's those little things over a long period of time that you're consistent about that make a big difference. So what about the, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? As corny as it sounds, I'm going to say my wife, she's been a great friend and a mentor and supported me through this journey. She never once said, uh, or at least out loud said I was crazy, but supported me along the way and has kind of been a big cheerleader for what I've been striving to do. So kind of having that, you know, your someone in your back corner encouraging you along the way, I think's really pushed me along even the few times I decided or thought I was going to give up on it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm in that same boat. Definitely could not have made it without my amazing bride pushing me and helping me along the way. Tell us how you like to give back. Basically, I like to give back just by educating, sharing my story on my blogs and articles and on my website. I'm not a big fan of the you know quote unquote gurus that sell you a $20,000 investment package that basically repackages information you can easily find on, on your own. Also with my background of losing my parents to cancer. Uh, I've been a board member and mentor to a nonprofit called Camp Loves Embrace. We do a weekend camp every year at Lake Chatech down by Slayton, Minnesota, basically to help children that have lost a loved one, parent, brother, sister at a young age. And they can also be around other children that know what it's like to go 
through something traumatic like that, where at their school environment or amongst their friends, they may not know how to act or what they're feeling. Awesome. Well, John, appreciate you giving back in that way and spending time with us today as well. And just really talking through about it, your financial freedom model, you know, one bill at a time. I think it's very interesting. And then just how, you know, all the way to learning something every day is so important. And many tips you've shared is how you're gaining financial freedom, taking that mindset shift, you know, to what does that look like long term? And should we be leaving all that money over there in that IRA or that Roth account, you know, planning for when we're in our 60s or 80s or whatever, and we may not even make it that long. So, but John, thank you again. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, my name is John Rickgarn. I'm not too hard to find. You can find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Also run a financial education website, wealthandfreedomnexus.com. Also has all my social media tags on there as well. You can also reach out to me, uh, john at wealthandfreedomnexus.com for my uh, email and love to connect and chat with others and help them on their journey of passive income as well. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.